it's so strange to me, but when like we're all we're wanting from our leaders is, you know, certainty and confidence and all of, like, we're just wanting the answers. But then when we have a leader that comes to us and says, you know, I, I don't know, but when they're honest about that, it's weirdly soothing. Have you mm-hmm. seen that to be consistent, Chris? Oh, absolutely. And, and I think it, it helps to say, I don't know. And I will tell you when I can, or I yeah. don't know. I wish I could, you know, as soon as I know that information, I'll let you know, or yeah, that's the challenge we're all facing. Let's wrestle with it together. So it, it is, it is, the, I don't know. And then some kind of thing that says there will be action or we can have action around it. Welcome to the Ripple Leader Podcast with Chris Hutchinson. I'm your co-host, Seth Silvers, and every week on this show, I will sit down with Chris Hutchinson, founder and CEO of the Trebuchet Group, and have engaging conversations with one goal, to help you build clarity and confidence for leaders and teams. This season, we are hosting these conversations live on Fireside Chat, which means you can join us in the conversation. If you want to ask questions live, download Fireside Chat on your mobile device and tune in live to join the interview. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Ripple Leader podcast with Chris Hutchinson. I'm your co-host, Seth Silvers, and I am here with uh, the man, the myth, the leader, (laughs) Chris Hutchinson. (laughs) Chris, how's your day going? Oh, Seth, it's going pretty good. I mean, it's uh, it's kind of quiet. Things have, I think, are tapering down with people getting ready for the Labor Day weekend. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I heard somebody the other day mention the phrase revenge travel. Wait, um, what, what's revenge travel? It doesn't sound I'm talking about how this summer, how so many people have like missed out on all the things that they feel entitled to be a part of their life, like traveling and going on trips and going to work conferences and doing all these things where they missed out for like a year and a half. And so yeah. how summer was particularly crazy because people were doing revenge travel and trying to like make up for lost time. And so I kind of sense that I, I definitely sense that for a couple of months and I sense that now, you know, it's September 3rd today, seems like things are kind of getting back into like a, a more sustainable rhythm for the fall. So it's like revenge school or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. Pretty what, much. What, what's, like, what's, what's, I didn't get to do anything for a year. So I'm going to do it all in the next four weeks. It feels like pent up demand isn't necessarily revenge, but I, I get the concept. So that's, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So uh, it is September 3rd. So Chris, what are you looking forward to in the next month? Well, I think um, we're actually, hopefully the path is kind of staying out of the dark woods and we're going to be able to have some gatherings that are effective. There's a lot of, a lot of clients are sort of wrestling with uh, where are we going exactly and how we're going to get there and how do we include everyone. And so I'm really looking forward to the support that my team um, is able to give folks when they need it. And it just, it's so cool to see people's, the light bulbs come on and people say, oh, here's where we're going. This is where we're going together. We're committed. Um, also, my my in-laws are celebrating their 61st wedding anniversary tomorrow at a party. We were going to do the 60th, but we couldn't invite anybody. So, hmm. Well, that sounds great. I think I'm looking forward to some fall weather. I know hmm. here in Fort Collins, we haven't had that many like 100 plus days this year but i feel like it's just been in the 90s for like two months straight which i'm sure people in texas and arizona are like laughing, laughing at us but yeah totally i don't know it's hot so i think it'll be nice to wear a wear a hoodie for a little bit i, I we're getting our apple cider press and grinder out and, and gonna go the apples off the tree and falls here you know yes yeah that'll be great so today we are talking about this phrase 
It's not my job. I think everybody's probably said it at some point, maybe in relation to when we were a kid and it was our siblings chore to do, but probably we've also said it as adults in relation to our jobs when a leader has asked us to do something. And I think many of us also have probably been in a leadership position where there's people around us that, uh, whether they vocalize that or not, you've, you've sensed it. You've sensed that there's this feeling of people thinking like, well, I don't really want to do that or I don't want to do it well because you know, it's Steve's job or it's Carissa's job. It's not my job. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what we're diving into today is this concept of it's not my job and you know, other things that leaders deal with when leading teams. We'd love to kind of hear your opening thoughts on this kind of phrase of, you know, it's not my job. That's so-and-so's job. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting because I, I think as in most things, the situation itself applies a lot. So you could have, you know, somebody asking you to do things that aren't helpful or that actually are harmful or something and say, hey, that's not, you know, there's a boundary setting kind of condition like, well, I don't do that. You know, that's not what we do. And then there's the sort of unhealthy, as I see it, not my job in, you know what, I don't want to feel responsible for that. I don't see myself as doing more than just what I was asked to do. Therefore, I'm going to push away from that responsibility and just leave it with you. Right. Have you, what have been the main ways that you've experienced this? Has it been maybe with other team members when you've been a part of a team or has it been with you know, when you're leading a team, what are, what are the main ways you're, you've seen this in, in your experience? Well, yeah, that's, that's a great question, Seth. And I'm sure we're going to hear some, from some other folks, you know, if they have something where they think, um, you know, what their experience was. Believe it or not, it all probably stems down to group work in school. I, I'm guessing you probably had some more things where there was three people working hard on a project. One person's like, look, that's not my job. It's, just, you know, I don't have to rise to the occasion. It's not my responsibility when I've been in, it's usually in larger organizations or organizations where people have had responsibilities for a certain amount of time and people can, those sort of can calcify to where I know what my role is. And as the world changes around me, not my responsibility to change my role, to be part of it. And it's, it's not a really helpful perspective as, as you can imagine. You know, I, I don't know about your experience. When somebody's like, it's not my job, I just feel completely let down. Customer service people who do that, you know, uh, w one thing that I was advised early on was don't take a no from anybody who can't give you a yes. So if somebody's like, well, no, I can't do that. Well, I understand. Whose job is that? You know, who could give me a yes? It can frequently get you to a lot better place than railing against the person who's just saying no. I've got more thoughts about it, but um, a lot yeah. of times it's in where there's been some kind of a setup where this is what we got to do. And I've just saluted smartly. And therefore I don't have to think about a broader context. I don't have any responsibility, anything besides what I was asked to do. And that's, to me, that's a failure of leadership because you haven't engaged people to the place where they see the larger responsibility as their job versus the tasks they're doing. Well, yeah. And I mean, I think we get into this area of, uh, of scope, like what's called scope creep. Yeah. Uh, you know, where, okay, well, you know, I have these nice, pretty boundaries of my job and you know, that that's starting to get into someone else's job or, you know, I wasn't, 
hired for that. And so, you know, am I going to be compensated for that? We get, we get, we start thinking about all of these things that at the end of the day, I kind of think it, it becomes a little bit more about, you know, what a, what a, how does this serve me? Like it really becomes my job is me focused as opposed to the job is others focused. That's uh, so absolutely it. And so I, th- I think that's kind of, I, I'd love to dive into that piece more, but yeah, I think that at the end of the day, that question of it's not my job really does kind of, I don't want to say it just comes down to selfishness because I think we in general probably need to set up more personal boundaries in the workplace, Agreed. but it does feel like if I'm imagining myself saying that it's really like, well, well, what's in it for me as opposed to, you know, okay, the team needs some extra support right now. Mm-hmm. To me, yeah, there's, it's, it's kind of like, it's a symptom of probably some of the possibilities. And I'd love to hear Ned's thoughts on it too. It's where, are we enlisted in a bigger purpose or there's something here that's beyond just myself? If not, then yeah, I can just carve out my territory and say, this is mine, you know, good luck with yours. I really wish that, and I, and I have actually seen this in some clients where in the, like, I don't know, Seth, you, you know, replied to a job posting someplace. It doesn't say be a great participant and leader and person in this company. Cause here's what we go do. Oh, by the way, we would need you to do marketing. That would be your responsibility within that bigger context. Because really, when people say it's not my job, very frequently it's around doing things for the team, doing things with the team. Um, I've literally had somebody who, in the middle of a two-day retreat, just resigned because he said, look, I do my job. I I make my bonus because I have my metrics. You cannot make a metric that I can't hit, like that I actually have to have one that marketing and engineering have to work together on. And he resigned. Now, just three guesses to how marketing engineering was working in that company. Yeah, it, it, it was the major problem. They were building things they couldn't sell or trying to sell things they couldn't build. It was just horrific. It was impacting a lot of people. But this fellow felt like it wasn't really his responsibility and just literally walked out of a two-day retreat. Do you think that was a good thing over like in the, in the long run for the team, for the company? Absolutely. It was exactly the right thing. And in fact, the fact, the way that he, he walked out into another job, he told his boss, you know, at one night basically said, I'm out of here. I'm not going to be a babysitter and uh, I've got another job. So you could tell he was about him and that whole team shifted. Seth, it shifted to say, what are we doing together? Not in the, you know, everybody sacrificed themselves on the, on the jobs that were there, but everybody wasn't really about what can we do together? How can we make a difference here? Right. And it just, the whole team shifted because people tend to, in teams fall frequently to the lowest trusting person. He didn't trust anybody. And so everybody had to guard themselves. Took off after he left. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I like to think of what's exposed and uh, in, in what things happen in our life. And I think we've used the phrase like forced functions before, like, what are some of the forced functions that are going to expose the areas that need to be exposed? And so I think, I think in a situation like that, you know, this person realizing like, Hey, I'm not, this is not what I want to do. This is not my job. Right. Uh, this isn't what I was hired for. It pro- it exposed some gaps in the company, but it also exposed maybe some dissonance between him and the company that for him, I'm, I'm sure that he's grateful for that too. Um, I'm, I, I'd be surprised if looking back, you know, he probably, probably realized, wait, you know, that wasn't the, that wasn't the job for me for the long run. And mm-hmm. so it's interesting because those moments where I think personally we can feel, we can have this tension of, wait, this isn't my job. 
I think we need to pay attention to that tension. We need to pay attention to that dissonance and initially ask ourselves, okay, what is this, what is this showing me? Is this showing me something about me and my relationship to my work or to my people, but also is this showing me something about, you know, our company or our team or our organization? Like, I think those moments where it's like, this isn't my job is, I would imagine it probably teaches us things. Have you, it sounds like there's a story behind that. I, I, I'm wondering if you have one there or if we can see. If I ways. mean, I'm thinking about like every single time with almost every client I've worked with. Yeah. I don't want to say that because I, I, I know we've done professional work together and I don't think this has actually happened with you. It's okay. I'll, I'll just mark it down here on the sheet. It's, it's good. <laughs> keep, keep going. Seth. Anyway, I, I think, you know, scope in the service industry, like scope creep is super, super uh, relevant. Um, and I think there's almost always times where, you know, we're producing shows or we're doing marketing consulting for somebody and, you know, we write up a contract. Okay. Here's what we're going to do, you know, for better or for worse, here's what we're going to do. And here's what you're going to pay us to do. Right. Um, And Stephanie, I know you're in the audience and I know you've done a lot of consulting. And so I am sure that (laughs) you've probably ran into this and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, but you, you know, you establish an agreement. And then naturally the client's going to pick up the phone at some point, or you're going to be in a meeting. They're like, well, can you do this? Like, oh, can you, like, can you just do this quick unrelated thing? Um, And most of the time the answer is yes. The answer is, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll help you out. I'll do that. But there's this inner tension. And so I think I've ran into it a lot with clients where um, I think the, the most unhealthy times in my business have been where I've just kind of said yes to everything. Mm-hmm. And then projects have, you know, the scope of those projects has crept and crept and crept to where there's no more boundaries. And then I feel taken advantage of. Um, and I think now I'm more in the place where I do a better job of setting those boundaries in more clear ways up front, right. but still wanting to have some space to be able to say, you know what, like, yeah, like you're the client. I want to help you. Like if you're not successful, I'm not successful. So Stephanie, welcome to the stage. I'm curious to, uh, in your consulting work or any other projects, if you've been kind of stuck in this place at times where you have this feeling of like, but that's not what you're paying me for, or that's not my job. So I don't know. What do you think, Stephanie? Oh, Seth, you were just singing my song. <laughs> Chris, how are you, you doing? It's nice to the stage. I saw that. I was like, <laughs> yeah, so. I literally was doing something. And I heard Seth say scope creep and I'm like, Oh, this is my jam. <laughs> No, I think, and, and Seth, it's, it's so interesting because of course we want to provide clients with a very high level of service. People have a lot of choices as to who they can work with and what value they find in individual consultants. And so of course, high performance, great results, under promising over delivering is always part of what I think is fundamentally a good work ethic. Um, I definitely, like you, Seth, had to kind of learn the hard way because when I started to realize that I was feeling resentful, I had to own that and say, if I'm feeling resentful, that's because I did not either A, appropriate, appropriately assess what this client was going to need. And maybe I created a situation where I might've set myself up to underservice this contract. And so I had to sit back and say, if I'm feeling resentful, this is about me setting boundaries. It's not about the client. And if it is about the client, we're about to discover that. <laughs> right? So I actually wound up, I mean, to your point, I wound up drawing up a separate proposed addendum to the contract with mm-hmm. the needs that I saw the client um, kind of needing. Right. And some of that stemmed out of the work I was doing. Um, 
where I was able to sit down and say, hey, listen, I always allow for extra space for this, but I'm noticing that here are kind of the buckets of things that you're needing now. And I think what we need to do for me to be able to gauge and allocate the right amount of time to you and ensure that I'm properly servicing this contract. These are the things that I think you need. And this would be the additional cost on top of your regular consulting fee. And once I did that, everything changed for me professionally. But it was a big, I had to take a big leap of faith because, because Seth, I think I was still in that rut of over-delivering and then not knowing my own boundaries in terms of when, you know, you're hitting hour three, four or five and you have other clients too, because we teach our clients how to treat us, if you will. We teach our clients how to ask for things and it's up to us to be instructive. It's up to us to understand you know, A, it goes back to you going back to the drawing table, I think, and really establishing and understanding your value. Because I think when you think about the value that you're providing, it allows you to say, well, wait a minute, all of these extra categories that they're needing help with is frankly a, a compliment to me because they feel like I'm prepared to handle it. And, and I am. Um, but I think once you really do understand the value of your time and the value that you're providing, um, that first time I did that, it was, it was actually never hard again. I, I got very practical about it. And yeah, but I, but voice Seth, I really do. You're, you're singing my song. <laughs> yeah. Chris, you know, we're talking about this in, in light of like client services, mm-hmm. but how can we apply, you know, some of what Stephanie and I are saying to, to teams to, you know, when you're either on a team and you're feeling like this might not be my job or this isn't what I signed up for, or if you're a leader and you're hearing that from your team where you really need your team to step up and, you know, take some more responsibility, but your team's saying that's, you know, that's not really my job. Like how can we kind of bring this client service, these client service lessons into the team world? Well, that's great. And Stephanie, thanks for sharing. I, I, I can feel that too. And I, and I, I once had a, a, I'll stay in the client services just for a moment, walked out of a, a meeting with a new colleague that was sort of, you know, not quite interning, but seeing if they wanted to work with us after I talked to a potential client. And the guy said, well, how did you know to ask question one, two, three, four, five? And I'm like, I lost sale on number one. I lost sale on number two. I lost client number three. You know, I learned the hard way and I can hear some of the, probably the scars and also the rewards of figuring out ways that work where you're mutually benefited. So that's where I want to go is really it's mutual benefit of, and it depends on your philosophy. There's some people who see it differently. My philosophy is that the value I get is a byproduct of that, which I'm helping create. So if I'm in that sort of, we're better together mode um, and we're clear about exactly what it is we're trying to get together, then it's less of a, you're stealing my time. It's more, I'm investing with you to get this result. Um, so, Absolutely. So I, yeah. So the, that's the key, really. And, and that's the same thing for an employee. It's like, am I extracting your life or are we creating something together? Are we creating this, we're leaning on a purpose? Or even if it's just like, yeah, we're making widgets and where do you want to go in your life? What do you want to do? How can we build that while we're together so that you get your job and there's something else? So it's, it's me seeing my job is not just to get results. My job is to help develop people and the organization as a leader. And so walking into that, so the clarity is, is key. I mean, it's like um, in the military, and I may have mentioned this before, there's, there's a thing called commander's intent. You might have an order that says, go do X, but there almost always is that, and that's intended to have Y result. And the idea behind that is 
if you get there and you can't do X, you know what Y is, you can be creative and figure out how to get there. That's what we want for employees. We want them to say, oh, it wasn't, I followed what Chris said, you know, we're more creating it together. And when people are part of the creation of what we're trying to get to, they own the way to get there. The other piece is this time versus results thing, which is interesting. I know like in my consulting firm, we take a very risky approach. We do not track time for our people. We do not actually even track time with clients. Uh, we are looking at the result that we said we were going to go try to get together and how we know we're off or on track. And we have rough schedule. You know, we know it's going to, this is a day worth of workshop, but we're not charging for a day workshop. We're charging for the, the effort involved to put that together to make the result for the client that we get to share in. And so if, I think when teams get that way, it's not, you're stealing my time. What are we doing together? And what's my role in that? Yes, that's important. And then what might I need to do besides what's my formal role to help us get there? And that's the part where I get frustrated. People are like, it's not my job. The cool part is I haven't heard that for years and years. Seth, so, do you mind if I ask a question? Please. I thought Chris said something interesting. Are we okay on time? Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Awesome. Chris, you said something interesting to me because I am um, super curious about this. So once upon a time, I did not track time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started to, because I, I wasn't quite sure how to deal with, to Seth's point, kind of that scope creep, right? And so I thought, well, maybe I need to get clearer about the amount of time I'm, I'm needing to spend on this contract. So then it was a recording, I mean, really recording like everything I did, almost like an attorney, right? I had a phone call, it was 15 minutes. Because yeah. I wanted to understand, am I, it, is the fee that I'm charging consistent with the amount of output? So it, what I realized is that keeping track of that type of time without fairly sophisticated technology was actually becoming a burden. And in my mind, it became something where I was spending client time on now logging client time. And I felt like that was not working. So how, from a business perspective, having multiple clients and all the things that you do, Chris, Mm -hmm. I love what you said about why you don't track time. Um, I, and I even like how you sort of, um, defined what that looks like in terms of what you're trying to provide to that client. Chris, do you feel like you're just at a, at a place right now from a professional perspective where you generally understand, you know, this effort normally takes around this time. If you hit a couple bumps, it's about this time. Is it more of just you're sort of saying, I'm aware of the amount of time that we're spending on a client. How, how do you, I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you manage that from a workflow perspective, a business perspective because I think you have other ethics built into the way that you work. And I think that are very consistent with probably mine and, and, and Seth's as well. Mm-hmm. But how do you, how do you, how do you manage that from a business perspective? And then if you feel like the time is getting to be too much, if that's been a scenario, how do you gauge that and notice it? And then what do you do with that? D- d- does that make sense? That totally makes sense. And as you were talking, uh, Stephanie, I, I definitely, it was a journey. Um, I, I know there were some times when I was helping some of my staff, we color code what we're working on. Uh, not as a project, but in terms of what the work is, so that uh, is this work developing, is this attracting clients and or is this helping support clients? You know, that would be more like delivery and sales, like respectively. Um, and there's other things that we do. But so we have a couple of indicators that we all can look at. And I can squint and go, about 40% of my time's in delivery, about 30% in, in uh, working on uh, marketing and, and things where we're helping attract clients and sales. And then the rest is really honoring the people in the company and my CEO role. So yes, there definitely is a place where I can, I can roughly see what the time's going to be. We do, it's interesting that we, we sort of look, and I kind of think of this for clients or leaders too, is 
We have what we call delivery time. So that's the time we're with a client. That's the only part that really counts. We don't have an hourly rate on that, but we know roughly what you know it's going to be. And for some of our folks, that's a three to one ratio of prep to delivery time. Or maybe they want to go start something new. They're going to take 10 hours to figure out how to do this. Great. That's on us. So we don't charge for hours of time. And I don't want the client to worry about picking up the phone and going, that's a $400 phone call. I'll just do it myself. You know, I want them just to go, that's included. We'll call. Um, on the other side, there is a, there is a general, you know, we're like, we're going to be there for three days or we're going to be there something like that. So we, we know roughly what those are, but a lot of times it depends on the client. That's the part that I had to really break my brain around. It wasn't the value of my time. It was the result for the client was all that mattered. Uh, had, had one person who said, you're charging, you're not charging me enough. And after I sat down and, you know, felt the bottom of the chair and made sure I wasn't going to fall over, he's like, you know what I'm giving up when I don't spend time with you is that I'm giving up on this dream and what we're trying to do with the business and the team. And that's worth way more. So don't go crazy, but I need you to charge more so that it reflects the value of what we're going to get out of this work together. Wow. And so we don't have total value pricing. I'd love to go there. You know, hey, what's the value? You tell me. Let's go do it. But yeah, it's thinking in that mode um, of, of like, what's the value to the organization? And are we both are we both anting up to that? Thank you. That's amazing. Seth, thank you as always for allowing me to join this conversation. I really, really enjoy your shows and the conversations the two of you have. So thank you once again for having them. Appreciate the ability to participate. And I'll tuck myself back in the audience and continue to enjoy listening. Stephanie, it was great. Thanks for, thanks for the interaction. And I'm hoping people are certain, maybe seeing uh, parallels off to the side as you're leading a team. You're trying to figure out how do I help them have value in their life? They're investing their life here. Is right. it are we creating something together? Because it's it's not, you know, all those hours don't come back. So time is important. It's just what kind of things can we do together that really sort of we get this, and I hate the word, but I get the concept, the synergy of if we spend time together, we all walk away and I don't know, two years from this, whatever we're doing, and we're stronger because of it. Absolutely. So I'd love to kind of flip this a little bit and, uh, go and for talk it. about yeah. the other the other side where, or I guess, is there a side where having a boundary and maybe self-awareness and recognizing, you know, it's not my job, maybe in kinder words, mm -hmm. uh, is actually healthy where maybe you're a part of a team and, you know, you're all of a sudden wearing 13 different hats instead yep. of really staying focused. So is there a side where, you know, this kind of idea of, you know, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't maybe what you hired me for mm -hmm. uh, is actually healthy. Yes. The short answer is yes. And if I look from, a, let me look from a leadership perspective, Seth, I think we could, we could talk about individual contributors from a leadership perspective in my mind. And I'd love people to talk more about it or, you know, come up uh, on stage here. It's really about um, what are we, how do I describe this? I'm trying to think. There's like, for instance, one of the things I don't do as a consultant, as a coach, I do not do shuttle diplomacy. I'm not going to go tell somebody something. I'm going to encourage the heck out of you to tell them because I think it's important you get that back and forth. That would be something if they said, Chris, I want you to go tell my boss X, Y, Z. I usually say something like, you know, I could. What kind of impact would that have? Let's just talk about it for a minute. I'm just being open. You know, what kind of impact? If I told him the concerns, how well do you think I'd represent what's really happening? How well would that work for me to then come back and tell you what, what she thought about it? And uh, how, 
versus what if you got together and I could help you feel confident to have that conversation? What kind of impact do we have? So I'm, I'm exploring the result rather than the action and not sort of declining to participate, but helping the other person step up instead. I, I think that that's a place where I, I'm, I wouldn't go. Um, also, I think it's not a good thing for me to solve as the leader, solve all the problems. I actually, my job is to help people struggle so they're stronger and that we get better results and they own them together. That's paradoxical to a lot of folks. They think, well, if you're a good producer, you go into a leadership job, that means you just tell people how to produce. Can Maybe. You go, can you go, like, we need to stop there and go a little deeper into that. Okay, story. go for it. Yeah, what, what do you want? Well, just can you say that again and explain it a little bit more of, because you just said something along the lines of your job as a leader is to help your team struggle. Yeah, I, I believe that pretty strongly, which is really uncomfortable for me because I'm a trained rescuer trying to untrain myself, you know, because my job is to go and swoop in, save the day. And what I discovered was that diminished the capacity, the motivation, the morale and the energy and frankly, our results together, but all for the employee. So it was kind of this like, I'm actually trying to help and my help is being completely unhelpful. And so really learning how to say, you know, this doesn't mean throw people in the deep end and walk away. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying, if I believe there's capacity there for the person to learn and to grow, and we have clear picture of where we're going together, asking them questions, getting their engagement about where we're trying to go is what I want to do. I want their passion to carry them in the direction that's going to make sense for them and frankly, for us together. And if it's not happening, I cannot force it. I mean, I can try, but my, uh, my strong-willed children have taught me well that, that uh, you know, telling people some, to do something, even pleading with them, that's not going to help. They have to see what's in it for them and for others they care about. Yeah, I think that's really interesting to to think about. And it's just, it is paradoxical. And, you know, when building a team, I think we are often thinking, okay, let's hire, you know, we want to hire people that are better than us uh, at the job so that they can just kind of like coast and just do it. And it can, you know, be fairly, I think the ideal leadership position is, more hands off where you're like, I don't have to do that. Like our team is so awesome that they do everything perfectly and awesomely and on their own. Um, when in reality, like you're missing so much by mm-hmm. not having that, like, I, I don't know if you'd say tension, but I guess struggle is what you use in, in really a healthy word. So I think that's really healthy to look at. Do you think that when our team comes to us and says, Chris, it's not my job. How much of that is reflected and maybe modeled from from you? Uh, yeah, that was definitely something that I think is important, Seth. You you nailed it. Like, if that's happening, I think it's time to look in the mirror as a leader. There's something that you're projecting that is saying that, um, you know, are you drawing a hard line of a responsibility they feel you need? And what I'd like to do, too, is take it out of the personal and step into the organization and say, what does the business need? If the business needs you as a leader to hold people strongly accountable and supportive, you know, like this is the third time that we've had this budget reports not working. We need to get you some training. We, clearly, we haven't done a good job here. And if that doesn't work, that, that's another problem. But, but in terms of very frequently, people will look like they're unwilling to do something when actually they're unable. And my job is to help them be able. I can't make them be able. I can help them. I can equip them. So we got to work with that together. So I think, 
I don't know. How does that answer the question, Seth, or do we need to go deeper? I think, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's good to go deeper, um, into it, but I think, you know, I think you're right on of it's gotta, we have, we do have to look in the mirror at some point. And, and like we've said, it's not an easy, there's not an easy solution to this. It's not, uh, when somebody says it's not my job, that's not always a bad thing. And that's not always a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not, uh, you know, it's a conversation of, okay, you know, do we need to reevaluate our boundaries? Um, or, you know, if your team is feels scattered and they're saying yes to absolutely everything, realizing yeah, that's, not good. that's probably, no. it's not good. And it's probably because they've seen you do it as a leader. They've probably mm-hmm. seen that modeled in you, or maybe there was lack of clarity on when you brought them in. And so I think at the end of the day, you know, some of the things I'm kind of walking away from this with is one, the importance of clarity. Mm-hmm. You have to have clarity in order to know, okay, you know, what's your job, what's not your job, but also, I don't know, and I don't want to sound cheesy with another C word, but also the importance of conversation, you know, the importance of having those conversations with your team and knowing that, okay, uh, when is it, when is it good to maybe flex on the, to have some flexibility with this? When is it good, you know, to maybe put on another hat for a season so that you're maybe doing some things that aren't your job, but it's for a reason. So I think I'm walking away from this thinking more that, you know, this really is a, it's a hard, it's a, I guess I'm, it's a harder question to answer than I maybe thought it was 33 minutes ago. Oh, well, well, that's awesome. We're already, we're already, the struggle is real and it's really good. Uh, The other thing that's kind of fun is, and if I can be a little bit paradoxical or provocative here, Imagine, Seth, if I came up to you and said, hey, Seth, you know, it's not my job. And I think we really need to look at how we're getting clients. I think that's a big challenge. And I don't know that we're doing as well as we could. And it's making my job kind of hard. That's a real different perspective. Because, again, if we if we have a big picture of what we're trying to do together, I might feel more empowered to have that conversation. You know, we said we're going to be this 100-year company here. And I'm looking at the way we're getting, it's not my job. That's marketing or sales or whatever. I'm just in operations, but I'm wondering if we could do things better so that we get the kind of clients that, you know, I'd love to help. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and it's so much about the posture because we talked early on of almost this selfish motive of, I don't want to do that because that's not my job. And you hired me for this and I'm looking at my job description and it's not in there. So are you going to, I'm either not going to do that or you need to pay me more for it. Mm-hmm. As opposed to somebody like you said, coming in and saying, "Hey, I know this isn't my job, but I think there's room to improve." Or you even asking somebody in your team to do something, and them saying, "Hey, I can do that, but that's not my job." And hopefully, you looking, stopping, pausing, looking in the mirror, and realizing, "Interesting." So you know, then that's data. That answer is data. So what are we going to do with that? Are we going to uh, adjust your job? because maybe this needs to be a part of your job or do we need to bring someone else in? Like, I think realizing that when somebody says it's not my job, that's data of some yep. sort. It's yep. it, you, you got to learn from it and you, there's a million different directions you can learn from it. Well, and I think there's a, and I'll piggyback on that and just say that um, imagine if I, if you were working for me, I'm, you know, I'm the leader and I come up to you Seth, and say, you know, it's not your job. And I wonder if what you think about doing X. 
I wonder what you think about growing this area. I've seen the strength that you have, and I believe it can make a big difference for us. And I would like to explore that with you. What do you think, Seth? So again, it comes, it comes back to the posture. To me, unless it's under the umbrella of something we're trying to do together, then it's just me manipulating or you manipulating, or we're just trying to get what we need. When we have a broader purpose, whatever that is, and that we agree on it, we are committed to that together, we can really make some amazing things happen. I have, I have actually had a time when under a great big corporate purpose that was, it was big enough that we could get things going, I sort of subversively worked with my team to see what we could do to make it even better than people expected from us. Mm-hmm. Just so, so we could be proud, so we could grow, so we could make a difference and feel proud about it. And nobody was telling me, you know, you need to make this unit amazing. I'm like, I think we're amazing. Let's go do it. It's not our job. We're just supposed to do this bare minimum or just get this thing done. What would amazing be? How can we help each other to get there? And that's, that's when the fun kicks in. It's challenging. It's hard. We may struggle. The sweetness of the victory is pretty big, though. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this, this has been great. Um, I, th- I think, you know, I'm, again, I I'm, think I'm always learning from this. Uh, Stephanie, we're beginning to wrap up, but if you have a question or thought, we'd love to have you back up. Sure. To hear. So we're, we're totally fine. We don't have a hard stop right now. So we'd love to welcome Stephanie back to the stage to hear your thoughts. Woo-hoo. I just want to make sure I'm being respectful of your time. I, I didn't know what your um, heart out was. So thank you. I was, I, I was thinking, Chris, about what you were talking about when you gave the scenario, uh, when Seth pr- presented his scenario, you came back and you said, well, what would it look like if you said to this employee or this team member, hey, I noticed you have strengths in this area. Um, this is an area we need to develop. What do you think about that? So Chris, it has been my experience and I have not had um, you know, global at scale experience to speak from, but in my, <clears throat> in my humble experience, <laughs> some of the things that I find challenging and, and I, I don't know that I can point to a specific metric per se, but it's been astonishing to me, and I will say astonishing, that's a strong word, but I, I think, I think that there, I've had this sort of expectation or, or sort of an assumption that the last 18, 20 months that have been, you know, pretty challenging where everybody has had to become more uh, sort of nimble and creative in terms of how we're going to continue to support, um, um, support everyone going through hard times, make sure you've got consistency relative to, um, work product or whatever that looks like again, while also supporting people, what are some of the characteristics? This is going to sound like a generic question, but it's not meant to be. But but in that scenario, what are some of the key characteristics you have seen from people who have been in leadership roles but are struggling with leadership mm-hmm. and making the change from identifying a team member or an employee without sort of just saying, this isn't really working for you. Maybe you should find another job versus, boy, this person really adds value. They seem to gravitate towards this area, or they seem like they have natural skills in this area. And instead of sort of going on the attack saying, you're really valuable, maybe this is not the perfect fit, but I think you'd fit over here. I find that there's a level of, I don't know if it's maturity or self-awareness in leadership, but Mm -hmm. That was a little bit of a word salad, and I apologize for that. But, but am I am I making sense in terms of what what are those key qualities you see in people who are in leadership roles that are struggling sometimes with leadership, and and what it requires for that person to have that level of identifying key characteristics and understanding you're still valuable to the organization, but it seems like you'd want to fit here. Why why does that seem like such a 
maybe stretch, I think, for some folks. Is that ego? Is it maturity? What? That, Stephanie, that is an awesome question. We're going to have to have a whole nother session here. And I want to, I'm going to tackle as much as I can here. This is really cool. I'm enjoying this. So um, it popped into my mind and it is a continuum, not a clear like one or the other kind of thing. I'll paint it as the edges, though. Um, I do think there is a sense of maturity. And I think our system actually conspires against this because we take people who are good at doing something. And then we say manage people or, you know, be a player coach. I kind of hate that thing. You know, it's like, don't stop doing what you're doing, but then help other people learn how to get better. That's a recipe for micromanagement. Um, and then, then we say, great, you're a manager. You've managed to get these good results. Now we're going to put you in charge in leadership role, which is more about developing people and figuring out where we're going and how to enable people to do things. So really, truly, it shouldn't be your job to go do things. But people get stuck in, my job is to make them happy. My job is to get results. My job is to be in control. And those people are struggling right now because there's no way to make people happy. Results are all over the place. And we're, if, if there wasn't the illusion of control before, it's now punctured, right? You can't control the things you thought you were controlling. Those people are very unhappy. On the flip side of that or the other side of the spectrum, those are people who understand it may be even going through some difficulties together is going to be what really is, is going to make us strong as a team. It's around not today's results, but how are we growing capacity and being flexible and adaptable and it's not about control, it's around trying to figure out how are we collectively solving these issues and grabbing these opportunities because none of them can be gotten by any one of us, but together we have a chance. And so there's a really, those people are thriving. Those people are like, we're doing pretty well. And I can pat myself on the back. We're doing pretty well as a company because we, we function that way. How can we develop ourselves? How do we develop clients? What kind of results we we walked away from? We've got to make this much money, and it was we need to make this much impact. So we're going to give away time and help people. The result was we ended up making money because we helped a lot of people, but we literally gave away time. And then I think the control facet we we've talked about it together. Like what are we in control of? Some of it's the way we show up every morning and help each other. Some of it's you know supporting each other in health crises or families that are having a hard time. So it feels like a place I can take risks and I can be flexible and adaptable versus if I don't get what my leader needs, I'm out of here. It may be too, I may have painted it too starkly of a contrast. Stephanie, how does that feel? Your no, I, no, I, I, no, I think, I think, um, I think well done. I know there was a lot packed into that question. So I think you, you did a good job of kind of trying to put some guidelines around again, my, my word salad, but I, I appreciate, I appreciate that. I'm hoping that there is an opportunity. I was just on your website and, um, I would love to do like a half day retreat with you and your team. I have to look into that. I, I, I think there's, you're just having some really spectacular conversations. Um, I, I, I really, I, I do enjoy them and I find them of great value. So, um, thank you once again. I promise this time I'm going to tuck myself back in the audience and stay there. But thank you. Thank you for the extra time. I appreciate it. Yeah. not Well, thank you for being willing to get up. I, I really, you know, when Seth pitched this thing to me and said, hey, we could have this interactive conversation. It's a podcast. I was like, what? You know, and, and I think it's in the connection and the collaboration and, and pulling out ideas. I think we all we all benefit. So Thank you for participating and for helping us. I'm guessing there's a lot of other people that are jotting down notes and thinking about how they're showing up as a leader. How can they help and support their teams? Even if it's folks that they work indirectly with, not people that report to them, but how can I support my the, the folks that I collaborate with? So Stephanie, thanks again. That was just fantastic. Thank you, Chris. Absolutely. 
and it, Chris, I think that's, I mean, that's the hope is that as people listen to the show, as they interact with it and really as we go about our daily lives that we're realizing whether you have leader or chief in your title of some sort, uh, there's, there's leadership involved with everything that we're doing. Um, you know, whether we're single person companies or whether we're, you know, feel like we're at times just, uh, another cog in a big machine of a huge company. There's, there really is leadership involved in everything that we're doing. And I mean, that the title of this podcast is the ripple leader podcast, because every single act that we do as a leader, it does, it ripples down to the team. Um, but I also, I mean, that also goes both ways. I think when the team acts and when we're a member of a team and we choose to lead, then, you know, I think that ripple goes upstream as well. And so I think, I think, you know, that's, that's the goal of this show is that people can, as we interact, as we learn from others, that we can uh, hopefully open up and unlock some new perspectives on some of these questions we're often asking. So I think this has been a really valuable conversation. Chris, would you mind kind of maybe summarizing, kind of bringing, you know, what are some things that you're taking away? You know, what are some things that you're making some mental notes of as we kind of close out this conversation of this phrase of, you know, it's, it's just not my job. I think you just hearing about the healthy boundaries and trying to figure out where you can add value, how you can make a difference with somebody else. Definitely the other focus. I like the way you said it's at the other focus versus the self-focus. You need both, but ultimately in a, in a business enterprise of any kind, it's around the collective first. And then how do I get to, shine and thrive within that and help other people. So um, hopefully it is our job as leaders to look for the best in people and try to figure out what we can do together and then help, as we, as I said, help people struggle through developing themselves and getting the kind of results they can be proud of. And then we all share in that winning. And um, it's pretty neat when it works. And I, I'm just, it's cool to hear people working on that together. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know this has been good for me. So selfishly, I'm excited that we got to have this conversation because I'm walking away with some valuable things to think about. And particularly the fact that you mentioned that a, a leader's job is to help their team struggle. And I think that's great. And like many things that we talk about, could be an episode in and of itself. Maybe we should write that one down. Let's see. Struggle. Yeah. Yeah, struggle. absolutely. So our next conversation is going to be uh, on Tuesday, September 7th, kind of a midday conversation. Mm -hmm. um, 2 p.m. Mountain Time, so 1 o'clock Pacific. And we're going to be talking about authentically creating culture in times of stress, which this will be interesting because uh, I thought that in times of stress, our only job is to survive. So, mm -hmm. uh, Chris, this will be interesting to talk about how do we authentically create culture in a time of stress. My teaser is going to be that there is no better, you know, it's don't waste a good crisis. There's no better time to examine what's really critically important and decide how to change stuff when you're sort of forced to. So this is actually taking advantage of the lack of opportunity and making it amazing. Yeah. Well, I am looking forward to that. I think, I think that's some good things to chew on. It gives me some questions to think about before then. And if you are listening in here live with us on Fireside, thank you. Thank you, Stephanie, for joining us today. And if you are in the place where you're interested in some more guidance or working with Chris and his team at, at the Trebuchet Group, um, then head over to www.trebuchetgroup.com 
and uh, make sure you give Chris a follow here on Fireside and RSVP for our show next Tuesday. Chris, thank you so much and hope that you have a wonderful weekend. Likewise to you. Have a great Labor Day and see you soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Ripple Leader Podcast, where our goal is to help you build clarity and confidence for leaders and teams. Don't forget to join us live on Fireside Chat to get your questions answered each week. And if you want to get in touch with Chris and his team at the Trebuchet Group, head to trebuchetgroup.com. That is T-R-E-B-U-C-H-E-T group.com. We'll see you next time.